DiscerningHearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study presents Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon Doran, along with her husband Steve, are founders of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, whose mission is to actively seek truth and raise up disciples for our Lord Jesus Christ through an in-depth Catholic Bible study. Sharon, who holds two master's degrees in education and in pastoral theology with an emphasis in sacred scripture, is an experienced Bible study teacher for over a decade. She has a passion for scripture that motivates and challenges her students to immerse themselves in God's word and apply his message to their everyday lives. We now begin the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Doran. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. These are the words of St. Peter when he realized that he was in the true presence of the Lord. But friends, Jesus was not afraid of the sins of Peter, and Jesus does not go away from him as Peter requests. Jesus can handle sin. Jesus can handle it. It doesn't scare him away. He does not remove himself from our messy, sinful lives. Jesus commands this sinful Peter to become a rock, to become the rock upon which Christ himself would build his church. The call of the apostles and the initiation of apostolic succession also extends into our own modern times. Each pope and each bishop can be traced all the way back by apostolic succession to St. Peter himself. Jesus commanded these original fishers of men to cast out into the deep and let down their nets for a catch. And he calls us to do the same thing today. We are not apostles, but disciples. We are encouraged to dive ever deeper into relationship with our Lord, to become his steadfast followers, his disciples, and then to tell many other souls about him and his loving kindness and his great mercy and steadfast love, and most of all, to tell about his saving power available within his boat, the church, his mystical bride. He is the head and we are the body. When was the last time you invited a non-Catholic friend to attend Mass with you? Sometimes the sheer beauty of the liturgical worship the Eucharistic mystery can spark a flame in the heart of an invited guest. Cast out your nets into the deep. Take the risk. Take a chance. Please listen now to the call of the apostles found in Luke chapter 5. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Genesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come help them. 
And they came and filled both boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Oh, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man, an unholy man in the direct divine presence of a holy, holy God, Jesus Christ. The Father had made a revelation to Peter, and his life would never, ever be the same again. He would still be a sinful man, but a man that Christ had a big job for in his kingdom building on earth. Please note that in the upper room, when the risen Christ walked through the locked doors to breathe the Holy Spirit on the ten present there in John chapter 20, he's doing it only on those apostles present there. Judas was gone, and Thomas was not there that night. Now later we know that Thomas and Jesus would have a one-on-one encounter, a very deep encounter. But to these ten apostles present that night, the risen Jesus bestowed on them the power to forgive sins. The power to forgive sins. Now every Jew knew that only God had the power to forgive sins. But Jesus, who was fully God, gave these ten apostles that same exact power, the power to forgive sin. So these men then stand in persona Christi, in the very person of Jesus Christ on earth. And when the risen Christ ascended back to the Father, these new priests will become Jesus Christ himself on earth. They have the power, the direct authority from the God Almighty to forgive or to retain sin. Now think about that in conjunction with Scripture. When Christ heals the paralytic man, all three synoptic gospel writers record this important story. But let's listen now to Mark's account found at Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after having dug it through, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk. 
But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up, and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. The power to forgive sins is the most ultimate healing power that any human could ever receive. Having cancer being blind or deaf, being paralyzed. None of these ailments alone keep us from eternal life, but sin does. Sin is the most serious disease that we can ever encounter as human beings because sin can keep us from our eternal destiny of communion with God for all eternity. Humans need healing, and Christ knows that. We need healing from sin. That's why he tells the paralytic that his sins are forgiven. This is the most total, complete, eternal healing that Jesus Christ could possibly extend to that paralyzed man. The sacrament of healing sins was extended to the apostles, not to everyone, but to those 10 apostles in John chapter 20, to those 10 present when Christ said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The risen Christ burst through locked doors, breathed on them the Holy Spirit in a private sort of Pentecost and bestowed on them a private ordination of sorts, a private holy orders. Christ needed priests before the church was conceived on Pentecost Day, which would be 50 days later. The risen Christ then spent the next 40 days instructing this private priesthood of apostles before his ascension back to the Father, of which he had told them about in John 6, after many had walked away on the teaching about eating and drinking his own flesh and blood one day. Remember in John 6 at verse 60, when many of his disciples heard this teaching, they said, the teaching's difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Well, they did see that. They did see him ascending to where he was before, just as he predicted they would. In Acts chapter 1, in the first book, Theophilus, Luke says, I told you, I told about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there, wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is telling them in Acts 1, he's telling the apostles to wait. What 
four, for the unleashing of power, dynamis, the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. This church is one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church built on the foundation of the apostles themselves and the authority conferred on them by Jesus Christ. They have the power from God to transubstantiate bread into the true presence of Christ on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit at Mass. They have the power to forgive sins. They are asked to teach and preach and lead and guide the church on earth in the person of Christ to shepherd us, and they need our prayers. Let's join the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study Lecture Series now, Part 2 on the Apostolic Call. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And we are in this end age. This is the age of the Holy Spirit. And we are lucky to be alive now at this time in the church. And when he appeared in John 20, it was behind locked doors. It was to a small group of disciples. It wasn't to the whole world. It was just to these men he had chosen by name, by the Father's authority vested on him. And they were locked together. It was after the crucifixion for fear of the Jews. He comes through walls, through doors like he came through Mary's womb, didn't hurt anything, didn't break anything. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, he breathed on them. This is a private Pentecost for the apostles. He breathes on them. And he says to them, not to everybody, he says to them, he's going to give them the power to forgive sins. Only God has the power to forgive sins. And he's giving it to these men. This is a new priesthood. And he tells them, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. They can loose and bind after his ascension. They wait in the upper room. They are constantly in prayer. They are devoting themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching. That's apostolic authority. That's apostolic teaching from Christ. And they spent 40 days with him. They spent three years with him, learning from him, from the mouth of God, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then on Pentecost morning, they are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they are baptized into the Father and into the Son and into this new Holy Spirit. And over 3,000 are baptized that day when Peter steps forward. Why Peter? Why does he get to talk all the time? Because he's the rock. God said, you are the rock. And he steps forward every time and does the speaking. But he listens to the others. He listens. He takes it all in. Then he stands. And he addressed the crowd like he did at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. He baptizes, they baptized 3,000 that day. How many were killed when the Levitical priesthood was established after the exodus of the golden calf in Exodus 32, after the um, apostasy of the golden calf, excuse me. How many were killed? The Levites went through the camp and killed 3,000 that day. Under Moses, under the Lord's orders, 3,000 we're in apostasy of the living God. But in this new priesthood, Peter will baptize 3,000. 3,000 are born again. This is a new priesthood. Full of the Holy Spirit, Peter steps forward in this new priesthood. Not Levitical, but Melchizedekian. That's all in the book of Hebrews. This is a new Israel. This is a new church. This is a universal church for all, not just Israel, for every single person. Like God told Abraham, this will be for all the descendants of the world. It's a worldwide blessing. It's for all. But he came through Israel. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every single day people came to them for baptism. The apostles were called to a new priesthood. Now let's look at the call specifically in Matthew's gospel first. He was walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was. He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And he said to them, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. Hmm. At once, at once, they left their nets and followed him. He walked along from there and saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat. They were with their father Zebedee, and they were mending nets. He called them, and immediately, immediately, they left their boat, and they left their father, and they followed him. Now, I love Luke's account, and let's compare it. Luke, there's a big crowd around the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is preaching. Jesus wants to preach and teach the crowd. While the crowd's pressing in on Jesus, and he's listening to, they're listening to the word of God, and he's standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is Galilee. He saw two boats alongside the lake. There were fishermen disembarking, washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, Jesus gets into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asks him to put out a short distance from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. Sitting on that improvised seat in Peter's boat, Jesus begins to teach. Rabbis sit down to teach. And he's teaching from the boat. So the boat of Peter becomes the chair of Jesus, where he will speak forth, where he will teach. Benedict notes that. Later in history, Peter will get his own chair. And we celebrate the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter on February 22nd. This feast brings to mind the mission of teacher and pastor conferred by Christ on Peter and continued in an unbroken line down to the present Pope. After he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and lower your nets for a catch. I love that. Simon said in reply, Master, we've worked hard all night. I've, we've caught nothing, but at your command, I will lower the nets. Do you know how much work this is? When they had to clean the nets by kosher law. They had to separate fish with no scales. That couldn't be kosher and compared to fish that had scales. They had just done all that. They had cleaned the nets according to kosher law. They had put everything away. They had wound them up. This takes a long time. They didn't have a very good catch that night either. So Jesus, a skilled carpenter, is telling skilled professional fishermen, go back out, undo all the nets again, and, and go cast into the deep. In the day, they're not biting right now, it's too hot. He doesn't know anything about fishing. Yet Simon humbles himself. This fisherman trusted this rabbi who did not give him answers but required him to trust. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were tearing. Their nets were ripping, they were tearing. Remember that, their nets were tearing. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, they came and filled both boats that were in danger of sinking. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at the knees of the Lord, and he said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Depart from me, go away, depart from me. Does Jesus depart? Jesus can handle sin. Jesus can handle sin. He does not depart from us. Sin does not scare Jesus away. Thank God. 
because he came, the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost, and we're all lost. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Repentance opens up the door to the heart. So this act of humility opens Peter's heart even more to recognize who is before him. Repentance opens our heart to Jesus. Adam and Eve sin, and they run and hide. They run and hide. First thing they did, they go hide from the Lord. Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. They hide among the trees in the garden, but God doesn't hide. God comes looking for them. Adam, where are you? Adam, does the God of the universe not know where he is? I was afraid, so I hid. Sin separates us from God. We leave God. God never leaves us. God does not depart from us. He will not leave us. I, I think another one that could maybe go in this category is St. Joseph, earthly father of Jesus. And we talked about these three theories of the Joseph dilemma and the, the patristic fathers. When, when he finds out Mary's pregnant, was, there was a, a suspicion theory, a perplexity theory, and the one I like personally is the reverence theory that Bernard of Claveau and St. Thomas Aquinas sided with. Perhaps Joseph just wanted to quietly divorce Mary because I can't raise God. He believed Mary's story. He knew she was full of grace. He knew she was pregnant. He, she, by the power of God, he knew the story about the angel was true. Just go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I'll just divorce her quietly. I can't raise God. For astonishment at the catch of fish, they had seized him. Astonishment at this catch of fish seized Peter and, and the men in the boat and all those with him. Likewise, James and John, the son of Zebedee, partners of Simon, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. You will be catching men, not fish, men. And they brought their boats to the shore and they left everything, everything, and followed him. This was some miraculous catch, and you are God. And I am not, I'm a sinful man, depart from me, but no, I will go with you. Pope Benedict says, Jesus replied by inviting him to trust and be open to a project that would surpass all expectations. Do not be afraid. Henceforth, you will be catching men. Peter could not yet imagine that one day he would arrive in Rome and that here he would be a fisher of men for the Lord. He accepted this surprising call. He let himself be involved in this great adventure. He was generous. He recognized his limits, but he believed in the one who was calling him. And he followed the dream of his heart and he said, yes, a courageous and generous yes, and he became a disciple of Jesus that day. Peter was a professional fisherman, but he will be a fisher of men, catching men, as Christ said. The total number of living baptized Catholics on the globe in 2009, that's a while back, reached 1,181,000,000. You will be catching men. You will be catching men cast out into the deep. Put out into the deep water. Lower your nets for a catch. Their nets were tearing in this story. Their nets are tearing. Now I want to tell you another story that I was reminded of. John 21. After they see the risen Lord in the Sea of Galilee, Peter went out fishing that morning. And Jesus says, friends, have you any fish? And No, they said. And Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. They didn't know this was him yet. They didn't recognize his glorified body. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. 
And Simon Peter climbs aboard, drags the net on shore. It was full of large fish, 153. Weird number. Numbers are always important in scripture. St. Jerome in his commentary writes that that was the number of species of known fish at the time. All types of fish, every single kind, a universal catch of every single species of fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. So in the first story, the net is torn. In this, after Christ has won the victory on the cross, the net doesn't tear. The net doesn't tear, yet there are fish from every known species. Simon Peter climbed on board, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. The net is the church. The net won't get torn. It will not break. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Fishers of men, the baptized, all of us, cast out the net. We have to do something. By the virtue of our baptism, you're to cast out the net. The net's the gospel, the good news. Put it out there. The good news of Jesus Christ is the net that the fisherman uses. And the gospel sweeps up souls for the kingdom of God. They're out there. You got to be patient when you're a fisherman. You got to wait sometimes. Maybe you have to chum the water a little bit with love and charity to a coworker. Can you wait? And you wait, and you love, but it takes fishers of men to cast out the net into the deep. The deep water's scary. Do I want to go deeper with the Lord? Do I want to really dive in? Take the risk to go deeper in relationship with him. Take the risk to share the gospel, to chum the water, to cast the net. That's action. The souls are pulled up out of the deep and into the safety of the boat. What's the boat? The boat's the church. And souls are safe there. If they do what Mother Church says, if you follow your mom's direction, you'll be safe. Your mother loves you. She only wants the best for you. The church will get you safely to the other side, to the eternal side. Stay in the church. Take her sacraments, confession, Eucharist. When storms come up in your life, and they will, they have in my life, storm after storm after storm. But the church will be there to help navigate through. The church brought me Eucharist. The women of the church brought me meals. The church loved my family. For 14 years I've had cancer. The church has always been there. I run to Mary when I'm distraught about a kid or something with Steve. I run to Mary, I run to the church. Thank goodness that Peter said, Master, we have worked hard all night. I, I've caught nothing, but at your command, I will lower the nets. His obedience to trust. And he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Thank God that God can use sinful, redeemed men and women for kingdom-building work. What Peter learned from the Master in those three years Ten of the twelve men called were martyred for the advancement of Christ and his kingdom. I'll just quickly go through. St. James, first one, Acts 12, beheaded by Herod. Philip, martyred in 80 AD. Simon, they don't know if he was crucified or sawn in half, reports of both. Andrew, crucified on an X-shaped cross at the time of Nero, 60 AD. James the Lesser, son of Alphaeus, thrown from the pinnacle of the temple, beaten to death. Matthias, stoned to death. 
Jude, also called Thaddeus, beaten to death with a club and then beheaded in Persia. Bartholomew, called Nathaniel, skinned alive, flayed and crucified head down. We see in the Last Judgment, Michelangelo shows his skin hanging there, the filleted skin of Bartholomew, Nathaniel. Thomas pierced through with four spears in India. And what about Peter and John? John tells us Peter saw him after that big catch when none of the nets tore. He says, Lord, what about him? What about John? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you, Peter? You must follow me. Uh, because of this, rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple, John, would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to re remain alive, what is that to you, Peter? <laughs> to Peter, he said, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself, and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. Now there is a uh, tradition in our church that when things were heating up in Rome and all the Christians were being killed, they wanted to protect Peter. So they led him out of Rome on a road. And on that road, Peter had a vision of the risen Christ. And Jesus said to Peter, where are you going? And, and Peter said, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm, I'm, I'm going this, I'm, I'm leaving Rome. And Jesus said, follow me. And Jesus turned and walked back to Rome. And Peter turned and followed Jesus back to Rome, where he would meet crucifixion by Nero. And he said, I can't be crucified as my Lord was. Put me upside down. And they did. And he was crucified upside down for Jesus Christ. He's in the bronze doors on the, on the Basilica of St. Peter's. You walk into the basilica, and there he is, crucified, head down, for Jesus Christ. I was at Pentecost Mass at the Vatican this year. There I am with my camera at the top. <laughs> I was that close to Benedict. I waited three and a half hours to get a seat early in the morning. I had to run and fight off some nuns. Boy, those sisters, <laughs> those sisters at charity, they can book it. Oh. And the Holy Father offered Mass on Pentecost Sunday, the day the Holy Spirit came down in tongues of fire in the upper room, and he offered Mass directly over the bones of St. Peter that I had seen in the Scavator the day before. And I knew, I knew I could feel the power of the Holy Spirit alive in this church through the apostolic succession of St. Peter on down to Pope number 265. And when I received Eucharist, I knew that by the power of the Holy Spirit in this act of the epiclesis, this transubstantiated matter, bread, not even living, but now living, fully alive to heal me so that one day I might go back to the garden. I might partake in the divine nature that I was created for in his image purified to be in his likeness through the sacraments and the safety of the church, founded on the rock, given to the rock, given to us. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your bride, the church. Guard her, protect her, help us love her like you do. 
Thank you for your kingdom on earth. Thank you for where we're going to your kingdom in heaven. If we stay safe inside the ark, inside the boat, help us cast our nets into the deep this week. Help us have courage to share the gospel with those we meet that we might catch souls for you. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And so it is. The apostolic call the 12 new restored tribes of Israel. When James, brother of Zebedee, is slain by the sword by Herod Agrippa, one in Acts chapter 12, they don't cast lots again. The church has already been born through Pentecost. Unlike when Matthias was chosen, the Holy Spirit had not been poured out yet at the time of the selection of Matthias. The risen Christ himself will appoint a replacement for James who's beheaded. Jesus called Saul. Saul on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9 where he had been persecuting the church. Ananias baptized Saul. His name was changed to Paul later. When Ananias baptizes him, the scales fell from his eyes. He's given the assignment to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he does, calling himself the least among the apostles. Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all, through all, and in all. Friends, we are one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church based on truth. Truth has a name, Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Seek him, and you will find him. You can find him in his living, inexhaustible word. And when you find him, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Until next time, keep seeking truth. You've been listening to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. To learn how you can become a participant, either online or in a classroom setting of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, go to seekingtruth.net. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. Join us next time for Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.